Hi, this is Carla Allen, host of School Counseling Opportunities and Professional Engagement, also known as SCOPE. I am a professional school counselor, currently a coordinator of counseling services for my school division, and adjunct professor for counselor education at a local university, Virginia Commonwealth. Go Rams! We will be discussing topics relevant to current trends in school counseling and ideas on how to provide support to one another. For questions, comments, or discussion topics, email me at vscaprofdevelopment at gmail.com. Again, that's vscaprofdevelopment at gmail.com. Welcome to Scope. School counselor, opportunity, and professional engagement. Scope. From the third floor. Today I'm talking to Mike and Whitaker and Shelly Cray. Mike and Shelly are school counselors who have done specialized training in substance prevention counseling. They are fortunate in that their school system saw the need in working with students who had substance use issues. Instead of saying, that doesn't happen in my school, they funded two positions for intervention counselors and also funded prevention programs. Mike and Shelly were also fortunate in that they applied for several several grants and were able to go for specialized training in learning about latest trends and new methods in working with students and families. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. Carla. Yes, and I'll, we'll start with you, Shelly. Um, tell us a little bit about, which we've asked all of our um, guests so far, your pathway about becoming a school counselor, and then to add on to that, what further led you to become an intervention counselor specializing in substance prevention? Sure. Um, I followed in my mother's footsteps. She was an educator, an mm-hmm. elementary school teacher, and then became a school counselor. Well, you know what? I did not know that till just this second. Yes. That's really interesting. <laughs> um, so I started my career um, at as an elementary school teacher for five years. Um, Then I stayed at home with um, the children for nine years. And during that time, I worked on my counseling endorsement Mm -hmm. at VCU. Um, And then my first year as a school counselor, I I worked at the middle school level. And then following that, I spent seven years as an elementary school counselor. And then when this position opened up, I was ready for a change and um, thought I would go for it. And it would also give me an opportunity to share my story of personal loss. Um, I lost a sibling to addiction, Mm. a brother. Mm. And um, so I share my story with the students that I teach in hopes of leaving an impact on them. And I also want them to know that when someone struggles with the substance use disorder, it impacts the entire family. and, And um, I, you know, let my students know that I do understand the family effects of that and that I hope that they would reach out to me as a resource if they, too, have family members struggling. Wow, Shelly, that is very brave and vulnerable to share that. And I especially appreciate you sharing that with your students because I know addiction issues can feel very isolating. And if they struggle or a family member does and they're sitting there listening to a lesson, and many of them are probably thinking, oh, this is just me. This doesn't impact other people. But when you share that with them, it helps them to feel included and that they're not alone. So I really appreciate you sharing that with your students. I also think it's interesting that you're an elementary counselor, and then you jump to um, an intervention working with secondary students. And I don't really know that a lot of people know that part of your story. So I, I thank you for sharing that because I know that it explains a lot of people because they're like, elementary to that. You know, what was your shelling to do that? But uh, again, I don't think the majority of them know that story that you just shared. So thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. So Mike, tell us a little, little bit about how you became a school counselor and then became interested in substance prevention. Well, um, in middle school, and I was lucky enough in late middle school to participate in like low ropes activities, mm-hmm. and my mom was also going through the VCU um, counseling program. Your mom then, was too? Yeah. <laughs> Did not know that either. Yes. Is she a school counselor? Mm-hmm. Yes, she was a school counselor at wow. elementary level. Um, the first one in our county where I grew up in. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I had that as a lot of helping professionals in my family um, through various roles. And so that really impacted me and how I want to help others. 
I participated in peer-to-peer counseling in high school mm-hmm. and also attended YADAP, which is a um, youth alcohol drug abuse prevention program. Also didn't was, know that either in <laughs> high school. Um, so those were things that kind of directed me towards the counseling realm. And so I went to college and ended up in graduate school for school counseling. And right out of graduate school, started a school um, position in middle school because mm-hmm. I found that middle school was really an age group that I loved. Um, so I did that for about 15 years before switching into this this role. And while I was a school counselor, though, our county provided um, evening education for substance use, and I helped out with that. Mm-hmm. So that helped build my knowledge base um, for helping individuals with substance use disorders. Wow. So then when this job came open, um, you made that leap again from a caseload counselor to a substance prevention counselor. So that um, leads to the next question. Tell us a little bit about the specifics of this job and how does your role differ from that of a traditional school counselor? So for it, one of the things as a middle school counselor, I'm fortunate, unlike with an elementary counselor sometimes where you're just solo at a school by yourself, right. I did have a, a group, a team with mm-hmm. me in the middle school. What is different with our position is that we are split between schools. Um, mm-hmm. I do, we do have multiple teams mm-hmm. with whom we work, so that's a big change to work with multiple faculties. But at those schools, we provide um, classroom lessons. So when you think about core curriculum as a school counselor, it wasn't that big of a jump to go to teaching in the classroom for our lessons. But we do spend a large majority of our year in the classroom Mm -hmm. teaching. So just the sheer volume of classroom time was a shift and a change. We are able to do um, individual brief interventions with students. One of the things that is different with our role, though, is that unlike being at one school where you have multiple interactions with students throughout the week, um, you have to make sure that you're designating your time to follow up with students. So that's really important in our current role, Mm -hmm. as well as having the opportunity for small groups. We can still run those, but again, thinking about you know, how you're planning out your, your day. So it does take a lot of um, prep and planning for that. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's not totally unlike a school counselor. Right. We're just fo- focusing mainly on the coping strategies and how students can identify what they, what they have as risk factors and protective factors mm-hmm. and helping them build those protective factors while also minimizing those risks risks that are in their life. Right. So you're doing core cur- curriculum lessons, running small groups, but your focus is substance prevention. And then yes. that individual counseling, you don't have a caseload per se at a school, but you do have a caseload of students who have referred themselves or someone has referred them to you in your different schools that you see. Right. Wow. And that, and that can be administrative referrals through mm-hmm. code violations, but then that can also be self-referrals or peer-to-peer peer comes in concerned about a friend or either staff members coming in or parents calling up and asking for help. Great. And that's such a great resource because um, once your child is struggling with addiction issues, it's, as we mentioned earlier, very isolating and not knowing where to reach out. So it's wonderful that y'all are there that a parent can reach out to say, hey, I need some help. And you're there to provide the resources for them. Mm-hmm. So your school division works from a prevention model for substance use. So um, this runs from fourth grade up to ninth grade, and that's pretty amazing. That prevention is um, that um, embedded into the curriculum. So talk about what those look like at each of the grade levels. So we do have so much going on in terms of prevention, and it, it really starts at the elementary level. In fourth grade, we have a program called SODA, mm-hmm. and high school students um, apply to be a SODA, a SODA pop, actually, and mm-hmm. they um, teach lessons to fourth graders, and they talk about healthy decision-making um, and touch on the negative impacts of substance use. So what I like about the SODA program, that stands for students... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I helped run the SODA program. <laughs> so... <laughs> What I can't believe I just forgot what that stood for. This is one of those mind things you have. But anyway, that it's a peer-to-peer program where the high school students come in and teach this prevention to the fourth grade. Student Organization for Developing Attitudes. I knew I'd come up with that. Um, so uh, I really like this program, and it has been in place um, for years. In, and in your school division, it's been in place for over 30 years. So this is not a new program, one that has been in place for a very long time. So in fourth grade, they get that. Then fifth grade, we move to... the 
the to, what program? to the DARE program, and that um, is delivered by the school resource officers, and they teach lessons to fifth graders, um, also on um, making healthy decisions and um, the negative impacts um, of substances. Mm-hmm. And they end the year with a big celebration where parents are invited and. Um, I've really enjoyed attending some of the DARE graduations mm-hmm. this year. So, too, what I like about that is that DARE officer in the schools, many times also the uh, school resource officer for that building. So those students are developing a positive relationship with that DARE officer. And I, I do want to say that sometimes when I've been to substance prevention conferences, I will hear sometimes people will say negative uh, statements about the DARE program because they don't think that there's research or um, supportive facts to show that this is actually working. But I think it's very important that it's not just a standalone program, that that you put other uh, lessons in place over the years. So I get that. Sometimes people say that if that's the only thing that your school division is doing is one series of lessons in yes. fifth grade. But uh, I always find it a little upsetting when I hear professionals say that because any little bit of conversation we can have about substance prevention to me is extremely important but I do like how that is tied in and it's an ongoing effort from fourth to fifth grade so once the schools um, the students move up to middle school what happens in sixth grade Um, so Mike and I um, as intervention counselors deliver lessons to sixth graders and um, we call these lessons Project Choice, which stands for Choosing Healthy Options in Challenging Environments. Well, I'm glad you can remember what your acronym stood for, because I can't remember what SOTA stood for. So we do. We continue to build on what the students have learned in D.A.R.E. and remind them of the refusal skills that they learned and, and talk about the most widely abused substances and um, hopefully pre- prepare them for the challenges that middle school brings so that they can make healthy choices. And then for 7th and 8th grade, we have um, students that are trained as 7th ups. These are high school students, again, like um, our SOTAs, um, that apply and are trained to teach substance abuse prevention lessons. And they come to the middle school and teach lessons to 7th and 8th graders. Um, These lessons focus on finding your natural high, you know, those passions that you have in life that don't involve substance use. Um, And uh, these lessons also focus on um, the transition to high school and who are your resources, who can you um, talk to if you need help. Um, So, Mm -hmm. um, And I want to add in there with Seventh Thought, which is an offshoot of soda, get that, so the 7th op, this was all uh, student-driven because um, when we ask, we have a, a, an advisory group, um, Substance Abuse Prevention Advisory Council, and it's made up of students and asking them, um, what do you see the need for substance prevention? And they came back and said, you talked to us 4th, 5th, and 6th grade, but what's the average age of first use? The answer being... 12 for those who have an addiction issue. They said, why do you quit talking to us about it at the most crucial stage? So that was kind of a wake-up call. So they came up with this idea to come back into the seventh grade and start the seventh up program. So it started as a pilot program and ran for many years um, just in two, two of the schools um, talking to seventh graders. And it was the same model as SOTA. So it's the high school kids going in. But we'll talk more in a minute about um, how that took off Um from talking to students, but I do wanted to add that's a student initiative. That's not one we came up with on our own. That's one student said we needed. And they also said, keep talking about it, which then came up to Project Thrive. So tell us about that. So Project Thrive are the ninth grade prevention lessons, and Mike and I also deliver those as intervention counselors. And in these lessons, we um, talk a lot about risk factors and how we all have some risk factors to substance use, but um, high school is a great time to get um, plugged into um, extracurricular activities and clubs and build in additional protective factors. Um, so we, you know, talk about ways to get involved and. Um, uh, we also talk again about the main substances of use and um, building those refusal skills. Mm-hmm. 
So another thing, too, um, sometimes when we come in to do counseling lessons, you get pushed back from teachers to say you're taking up instructional time. But what I really like about what y'all have done with these programs is that we are actually teaching the SOL for health and PE for these classes. So you, the experts, are coming in and teaching that content instead of a PE teacher who may have no experience in teaching that SOL. So it's a great crosswalk with substance counseling objectives as well as what the um, sub- objectives are for health and PE. So it's a, a great collaboration with the PE classes and you all and making sure the students get the correct information that they need. So it's not just you coming in to teach. You're doing it in conjunction with the health and PE curriculum. And that's not unlike with school counselors you know, going in and teaching core curriculum lessons. Mm-hmm. You get better buy-in whenever you have you know, a way to tie it into what's naturally happening. And mm-hmm. we're lucky in our county that we have these two positions, but for counties that do not have solely directed substance use, you know, mm-hmm. prevention counselors in their schools, your school counselors can look at your lessons and either help assist those um, health and PE teachers mm-hmm. in tailoring lessons um, to address the emotional and and. Um, substance use health for young people as well. Exactly right. So again, this is an an ongoing project and I know that if people say this is evidence-based, do you have any research to show this is working or not? But I think it's exciting because y'all are doing needs assessments starting with students early on and following them longitudinally over time to see if this program is having an impact on them. So as this is and still it's Infancy, I'd say it's a toddler program by now. <laughs> As we're, I know, this the years that we've had this in place, I'm, I'll be really excited to see that longitudinal data over time when these students get, get to the ninth grade that you all started with to, to see that your lessons have impacted their decision-making as far as refusal skills and um, information about substance use. We're already starting to know. I'm already starting to see. So this year's eighth graders will be our ninth graders, and that will be the first group. But the ninth graders will be the first group that mm-hmm. I will have had all through middle school um, through the, the different programs. Um, and then, but one of the things that the kids are constantly bringing up is they know when the brain is fully matured and developed. Definitely, so that's, that's a big <laughs> one. They do have a lot of knowledge about refusal skills. Mm-hmm. I will say that between soda, dare, and then the lessons, and then health and PE. If you don't have the programs we're doing, health and PE, and those objectives are talking about those things as well, in addition to school counselors covering decision-making. So I think those are kind of in place there. But mm-hmm. it's just very helpful to see how that's all coming yes. together. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. So when uh, you just alluded to that, Mike, and that uh, this is kind of unusual that a school division has these many opportunities for students to learn about substance prevention. So tell us how it came about that your school division focuses this much on prevention. Well, I feel like our county has really focused in on whenever there's been a problem or situation, going to the community and saying, what can we do to to turn this around? How can we mm-hmm. you know, help educate not only our students, but our fa- families in the community, um, in, individuals, all around surrounding our youth. Mm-hmm. So we have a community coalition. We have the sheriff's office that's, you know, a partnership with the schools, and together different forums have been created um, at different times where there's been a need that has been brought to the attention. So initially the, the substance use prevention counselors were put into place um, as a result of some um, overdose deaths and the, a forum that came into play. Mm-hmm. And then most recently, a few years ago, we had another forum, and that really invited in students to say, these are the prob- um, projects that we have in place. What are your views on them? Mm-hmm. Are they working? Are they not working? What could we do differently? And out of that came, again, what you mentioned earlier, you have an education in fourth, fifth, and sixth, but then nothing after that, like, focusing in on it as much, you know, not you know, with peers or with um, an actual person who has um, a large background in, in substance use. So out of that, you know, came the suggestion of doing the seventh up in eighth and seventh grade. And then also with um, implementing a prevention model where we're having going in and doing the ninth grade lessons as well. Exactly. And we knew, I talked about that forum, but I really appreciated about that was that this was led by our the sheriff's office who said, we have a drug problem here in our county, and what can we do to help you as a school system 
address that. So the superintendent um, came together with the sheriff's office and they brought in, as you said, students from every school to talk about the issues. The part I liked about it is because they felt that talking to adults would be intimidating. They wouldn't be truthful about it. They brought in graduate students from VCU to lead those small groups of kids. So they met with um, interns um, in groups of 10, and they were talking to someone who wasn't that much older than them, and they were very truthful about it. And one thing they did say, which I thought was truly amazing, was uh, quit candy coating it for us. If we have a drug problem in our schools, we want to know about it. And then you don't candy coat it. You'd be, you'd be truthful. And I think that played a large part in the ninth grade lessons and how you adapted them. And it's all about brain science and how this impacts your brain. It's not just about don't do drugs. It <laughs> actually shows the impact of what drugs will do to your brain. And um, they can see the science behind that. So I really appreciated them being honest. And then our school system saying, hey, Let's listen to that. Let's see um, what we can provide for them. And that's huge because instead of just saying, as I mentioned earlier in the intro, that doesn't happen in our community. Yes, this does happen in our community. And here's what we're going to do to help that. Mm -hmm. So um, if a student does have substance issues, you talked a little bit before about the referral process. And um, before we revamped this program, it was a lot of referral and doing a lot of individual work, which can be very um, difficult to do. So we have adjusted this to to a prevention model. So talk about what that looks like. Um, You do still have referrals, but how are you dealing with those referrals and what kind of community collaborations do you have in place to assist those students? So um, we start off the school year with um, training our staff on how to make a referral to us. our teachers are spending more time with the students than even their families on most given days, and they're often the ones hearing students talk about um, their use, or if a student has a really close relationship with the teacher, then they may confide in them um, about their use. So we um, do walk um, our staff through how to make a referral to us, which is through filling in a Google form, um, and even a warm handoff approach is even better where, you know, they would walk the student down if we happen to be in the building that day and introduce them to us. Um, and then once a referral is made, um, then we meet with the student. And um, if, if we feel that it's necessary, we will um, do an assessment, which is called the SASE, which, Mike, and you might have to help me out. I believe that stands for the Substance Abuse subtle screening inventory is that (laughs) and um that um will um give us a score once the student completes the assessment to let us know if they are at um low risk moderate or high risk for developing a substance use disorder and um then based on that information we'll provide recommendations um to the student and also to their families for how um, they can support the student. Um, For instance, if a student is at high risk, then um, we um, would want to make sure that the student is seeing an outside provider that Mm -hmm. will address the substance use issues because, you know, we're not licensed therapists. Like Mike said earlier, we provide um, brief intervention. Um, So, you know, we would want to make sure that the the family um, has those resources. Right. And I think that um, leads us naturally into the next question about um, the community resources that you have in um, assisting those parents and students who have addiction issues that you can't deal with in your brief therapy. So talk to us, uh, Mike, and if you would address that a little bit about um, the support you have within the community uh, to work with these programs. Well, and that's one of the things I've really enjoyed having a little bit more time to do in this role is to actually reaching out and meeting with, and, and I've found outside providers very welcoming in terms of wanting to find out what we do how we can help support their clients that happen to be in the schools or either potential clients that are um, in the schools that we could refer them to. And I think that's helpful for us to have that um, face-to-face meeting with those individuals so that when we're referring a parent to or mentioning that these are some individuals who work with adolescents, specifically with substance use, we know like a little bit about more about them. Mm-hmm. It's not just some names that are on a list. Um, and that 
gives that pair a little bit more comfort in, in knowing that we've made that connection. Our community services board it has um, wonderful um, substance abuse prevention, um, substance use counselors, and they provide um, gr- groups tailored to what the need is for that um, individual. And actually, we use a SASE, and they use a SASE as well in terms of their um, assessment initially. So we actually, it's kind of helpful that we use that same tool. So mm-hmm. I would suggest that those of you who are in a different community, you know, collaborate with your community services board because they may have a tool that could be, you could be trained in. And, and that training helpful. is not difficult. No, it's not difficult at so all. So any school counselor could get right. sassy training to um, assist. And I love the partnership that you have with the community services board because, again, we're working with the same students. So you know, we talk about less silo counseling, more collaboration, because in the schools we're doing this, the community services board are doing that, the providers, outside providers are doing this, but we're all working with the same students. So the more collaboration that we can have, the better able we are to serve them. Right. So I really appreciate, uh, and you all meet with the community services board counselors fairly often to discuss our um, yeah, common students. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, so sometimes <laughs> it's a little bit easier than uh, um, other months to do that because they become busy and with their different times of the year are busier. But we do try to meet with them at least quarterly, mm-hmm. um, if not more frequently. And that helps us. And of course, we're in contact with them even when we don't have face-to-face meetings. We have signed releases that we can talk with um, the CSB counselors or either outside providers. And that's part of when the referral gets sent to us and we were recommending somebody see an outside person, we have that paperwork right there. So that facilitates, you're not just saying, I would like to talk with you. This is why it'd be helpful to talk with an outside counselor so that I can support whatever, you know, implementation that they plan for you to implement when you get back to school Mm -hmm. and at home. So having that ready to go um, right there with that meeting with that parent and that student is really a helpful piece. That's great. And you also work with a nonprofit group. I know both of you are very active with a a nonprofit group. And that, um, that coalition and that community group also provides a lot of resources for our students. So talk a little bit about that as well. So the community coalition, every every um, community services board mm-hmm. has to have a coalition. So if you are not aware of your community having one, check out with the community services board because they're supposed to have one. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that you are getting outside of your silos. People who are on the co- um, coalition are from the sheriff's office, from health department, from um, any manner of diff- business owners mm-hmm. in the community. And that parents. helps you. Parents, yes. Yeah. So that helps you in recovery folks, too, mm-hmm. from the recovery community. So that helps you figure out what your community needs are. And what works in our community is not necessarily going to work in somebody else's exactly. community. So that's what I think is one of the greatest things about being part of the community coalition is to be on the front lines figuring out, like, what are our needs um, how can we, what are resources out there and putting our minds together so that we're not just all doing our individual things mm-hmm. and not, you know, combining our efforts. Right. And that's, mm-hmm. I love that part about this, what we were just talking about. I'm going to say it again, less silo counseling, more collaboration, mm-hmm. because we are exhausting ourselves working in silos and the students learn to play one off the other because, you know, we're all working separately. And if we just would spend that time and we always say, I'm so busy. Well, everybody is busy, but taking that little bit of extra time makes it less busy in the long run because we're not doing duplicative work. Um, mm-hmm. We're all working on the same page for those same kids. And I really love that this um, coalition has come together, the Community Services Board, the Sheriff's Department, and the school system. Wow, what a great impact that has for our kids that we're all working together to meet their needs. And the same messaging. The same really messaging. <laughs> the best part. So I know y'all have done some specialized training and uh, working with substance prevention. So um, tell us a little bit about some of the workshops and conferences um, that you've attended and what you've learned lately from attending those. Um, So just last week, we had the opportunity to attend a conference at um, VCU Kobe Town Hall. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing that was common amongst many of the speakers was using language that does not continue the stigma of substance use. Um, So they shared a chart, which was really helpful, and I know that, Carla, you've already sent that out to all Mm -hmm. of the school counselors so that we can all start using that that messaging. Um, 
for example, instead of referring to someone um, who is using substances as an addict, instead rephrasing it as an individual struggling with substance use. Mm-hmm. Um, one new term that that I had not heard before was rather than calling groups like NA or AA um, self-help groups, referring to them as mutual aid groups. Um, so that um, just using that language um, that helps reduce the stigma. So let's reiterate that because sometimes when we do language changes, you hear, oh, why do we have to change that? Why is that negative? And another one that we used to say substance abuse and again, it's a negative connotation. So we've changed that to substance use and prevention because um, it just gives it more of a positive affirmation rather than a negative connotation um, in the mindset that you're assisting them, not condemning them, and looking exactly. at them as an addict. Right. So I appreciate the, the language changes and that uh, everyone is looking at that. Mm-hmm. Another thing, another takeaway from the conference was also um, looking at the individual and their motivation for change Mm -hmm. um, because there are different stages of change. And I love that they even suggested kind of, you know, asking them on a scale of one to ten, what is what is the likelihood that you you want to change? And I think really meeting them where they are um, and um, because some are. really wanting help and, and, and wanting to um, leave their substance use behind and others are are not ready to make that change. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate when you attend these conferences or you're learning more about substance prevention, you see that it impacts every walk of life. Sometimes when you think about a sub- person with substance use issues, you think of a homeless person on the street out there panhandling. But when you look at the panel of uh, Students who talk, who are currently in college at VCU, they came from every walk of life, and they are now in college in recovery at 19 and 20 years old. So it really brings it home that substance use impacts everyone and it impacts every family member um, as they all go through this together. So I think a lot of times we just have to expand um, our thought process of who who is a who uses substances mm-hmm. because it could be the um, high-achieving student. And you hear a lot of that um, with the opioid opioid crisis where um, somebody maybe had an injury and were prescribed prescription medication, and then it escalates to the next thing you know, here we have a heroin ap- mm-hmm. epidemic because of that. So it impacts every family and every walk of life. So I think attending these conferences and learning more about it really helps us to assist those families as they're struggling to ask for help because they still have this stigma surrounding all of it and the shame that's involved to saying, hey, my child has an issue or my family member has an issue, just to get past that stigma and it's okay to ask for help. Right. Yeah, in terms of like how you can attend conferences like this, our collaboration with our community partners is really crucial in mm-hmm. that. First of all, just the awareness of the opportunities because that's mm-hmm. opening up so many more doors, especially for us where we're specializing like um, the Virginia School Counselors Association, we've presented at, at that a couple mm-hmm. of times, but you know, we tend to focus in on specific things that happen in the school and it may not have anything to do with substance right. use. So whether we create our own presentation, where if we're surrounding ourselves with individuals who are focusing on substance use disorders from a wide variety of angles, we find out about different conferences. I attended um, CADCO, which is a community coalition for nationally the conference in Maryland, and that was wonderful to see what's going on around our country and just seeing different young people speaking. The young people's voices were really mm-hmm. empowering and amazing to hear them talk about what's important to them and what they want to change in their communities and how we can take that back into our community and help empower our mm-hmm. youth to make a difference. So not only have you just mentioned going to national mm-hmm. conference, you all have also gone to an international conference in Montreal. Um, two summers ago, you all um, went to Montreal to learn about the Preventure model. And for those of you who have not heard about Preventure, um, this is, uh, I don't know that it's across the United States yet, but we're, we're working on that. VCU has put together a program, uh, a research program, 
And it was a three-year event, but looking at that, we thought, hey, let's just go learn it ourselves. So as far as I know, you two were the first American school counselors to go learn the prevention model, and we were the first school system to start implementing this. I hope I'm not incorrect in saying that. I think there's some other schools that have have implemented it now and have, like, a collaborative work with um, the professors and the school in Montreal mm-hmm. that are currently... So I'm uh, yeah. very excited that y'all were on the front um, end of this and gone. you went to Montreal to learn about the prevention model. So tell us a little bit about what does that mean? What is a prevention model? Um, so prevention is an evidence-based program that looks at personality types. So there um, are four personality types uh, that have been noted can put individuals at risk for mm-hmm. substance use disorder. And those include sensation-seeking, um, negative thinking, impulsivity, and anxiety sensitivity. Um, so prevention is a small group curriculum, um, and to identify members for a group, um, we would administer the prevention questionnaire, um, and then which would show which students are high um, in those four areas. Mm-hmm. And then we would form a group um, on separate groups for each personality type. So let's reiterate what you said. I think that's so important. So if those four personality types are the most at risk for substance use. So if you can identify those personality types early on and teach them coping mechanism, then you lessen um, probably the probability that they would then go on to abuse substances. And that's the whole concept to the prevention model. Right. And they also have shown that those who receive that intervention, it trickles out to those around them. Mm -hmm. Specifically in the training, it was recommended that we start with our sensation seekers because they happen to be oftentimes the ones that are the more popular or that Mm -hmm. other kids kind of are drawn to them. So if you can help them redirect that part of the personality, which is not a bad thing, it's just something that they need to figure out a way to direct that in a positive Mm -hmm. way. If you can teach them how to do that, then they'll make healthier choices which will impact their peers. Because they are the kind that thrive on the risky behaviors. Um, And when they use, they're out there front and center of everyone, and everyone can see that. So they're the life of the party, as opposed to the anxiety-driven user who uses to self-medicate to uh, be able to function. So sometimes that's a more private use, so those aren't seen as much um, because they're behind-the-scenes using. So I really um, love that you all learn this model because... I think it's something we all kind of knew, but to put it out there, you're like, whoa, that is very true. And right. if you are looking at, I mean, starting in elementary school, you can see these personality types emerging early on. Even with our own children, you're like, oh, my child has this or that. Not to say they're going to be, um, become someone who uses mm-hmm. substances, but just to know they're at risk for it and to teach them those coping mechanisms early on. Yes. And when we do implement the groups and introduce the group to students, um, we we don't tell them your personality type puts you at risk right. for substance use, but um, rephrase it as this is an opportunity to learn more about your personality and how can you channel your personality to make healthy de- decisions mm-hmm. and avoid um, negative choices. Right. And it's interesting, I think, when you talk to, to kids, like, let's talk about your personality type. Let's talk about you and how you feel. They they like doing that. They, they like do. learning more about themselves, and they learn like learning about how they operate. And when you say, hey, this is how you tend to be with this person, like, oh, that is me. And then they have that buy-in. So it's not, I like what you said. We were brought you in here so you don't use substances. You don't right. talk about that at all. You talk about, hey, with your personality, here are some great ways to learn how to cope. Yes. So the substance use is not even brought into that. So um, It's uh, mentioned in terms of, like, a like decision-making model. There's a decision-making model that's taught and hot thoughts, you identify Mm -hmm. what hot thoughts lead you to make choices that would possibly be positive or negative and you kind of weigh all of those. We do mention a little bit about substance use as Mm -hmm. a possibility of one of those hot thoughts, Mm -hmm. but again, it's not the focus of it. Exactly. I love that. So y'all are in year two of um, implementing that in um, two of our schools. Is that correct? Well, we haven't. I haven't led my one group yet, mm-hmm. so we're getting there. But uh, I would. Um, I'm excited to see what this looks like as we roll it out um, more broadly in the coming years. 
So we talked about you going to these trainings, and I know all these things cost money, and most schools um, and school counselors don't have the money to go do all this. However, you all have been able to find some grant funding um, to help pay for some of this. So talk a little bit about some of the grant funding you've been able to um, get, not just for uh, conferences, but also to implement some of your programs. So in our partnership with our community coalition, Mm -hmm. oftentimes many things come about that they're looking to impact um, substance use amongst young people. So if we find a product or an activity that would help benefit not only the community Mm -hmm. outcomes, but also school outcomes, they will often offer to purchase that, which is phenomenal and great that we can do that. Also, our peer-to-peer programs with Soda or 7th Up, those individuals help volunteer and help out with the right. community coalition. So it's it's a really reciprocal. It's a great partnership. Re- partnership and so aren't they sending you somewhere next week? Yes. So we're going to the um, RX Opioid Summit in mm-hmm. Atlanta. Wow. Um, and that's going to be, again, to getting out of our silos. And it's representation from the health department as well as community services board, um, community resources, um, sheriff's office, schools. I don't I may be missing somebody, but um, it's representation mm-hmm. from each of those areas. And the summit itself has so many different opportunities for learning. So we're excited to mm-hmm. attend and, and bring back that information. So, again, that coalition, we've mentioned that several times. And I don't, again, know that people are aware that that exists. But that partnership, again, is given, they're giving you the funding to go on this uh, conference to learn uh, about opioid addiction. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've also applied for some grants that have helped pay for some things. So tell us about those grants. So we've applied for the Virginia ABC grants, mm-hmm. and currently that gives you $10,000. Um, yeah. The actual, mm-hmm. the one for this um, is due next week. Mm-hmm. So um, we're not applying this year, but you can apply for that multiple years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, for the Virginia ABC grant, it has to uh, um, address a goal of decreasing alcohol, youth alcohol use, but you have to make sure it focuses in on that, but it could impact other things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the so. irony is Virginia ABC is the one who sells liquor in the state of Virginia. <laughs> yeah, they're the ones who provide the grant money to teach prevention for those who have substance use issues. Right. So um, you have applied and gotten a grant before mm-hmm. to fund many of these projects. So Right. So Preventure, that's how we were able to go to mm-hmm. Montreal and um, purchase the materials. So there are books associated with Preventure and training manuals and things like that. So, so when you say write a grant, I know people are like, oh, that's so much work. Um, tell us about that. Was it a lot of work to write the grant? What did, what did that feel like? Well, for this grant in particular, it was a form, so that was helpful. So Mm -hmm. it's not a whole lot of narrative that we had to put in. And as school counselors, we're used to writing goals and making sure they're measurable and Mm -hmm. attainable. So I feel like we have a good background. Right, you were writing a smart goal (laughs) and how you're going to use the money. Yes, so all of that kind of comes, you know, the money part was the only part where making sure you're spending every penny and allocating, Mm -hmm. you know, the right amount to different things and um, getting... Um, approval for different information that goes out um, because as a school system we have to get that approval but now you have to get it from the person who's granting you the money Mm -hmm. so those are just some things Um, so each grant is going to be a little bit different in terms of you know how that works but for us the Virginia ABC grant wasn't too cumbersome and they Mm -hmm. had people who you could call and ask for help and assistance great our coalition had also applied for the grant so I know that we would reach out to them if we had questions Mm -hmm. And also the coalition received a huge grant a couple of years ago, and they were able to help fund many of the school projects with the grant that they want as well. So there is grant money out there if you take the time to look it up for your state um, and then spend some time writing some SMART goals. Right. There is money out there um, to put some programs into place. Especially now, unfortunately, with the opioid crisis, there's yeah. a lot um, of communities that have been given a lot of funds. So you just need to ask. Mm-hmm how they're implementing that. Good. So you've been learning and hearing a lot lately. What are some trending, I don't want to, I will put that in quotes, quote, (laughs) trending substances about which counselors should be more aware and have on their radar that we may not know about if we're not working Mm -hmm. in substance prevention? So um, vaping has become a huge problem amongst our youth, Mm -hmm. and we um, see it a lot in our middle and high schools. And um, the students have the perception that it's water vapor, but 
um, you know, we're trying to educate them that, you know, these electronic devices are producing an aerosol, not just an aerosol of nicotine, but also of other um, harmful chemicals as well. Um, and some of the devices don't produce a lot of smoke. So we've had students report that students may use um, vapes walking down the hallway mm-hmm. or in classes. So I think it's important for um, counselors, teachers to just be mm-hmm. aware of it and on, on the lookout. Um, and it's also important to know that almost any drug of choice can be vaped. I've learned that from some mm-hmm. of um, the training that I've been to. Marijuana can be vaped. Psychoactive drugs can be vaped. Mm-hmm. Um, alcohol can be vaped. Yes. Which is very <laughs> just concerning because you mm-hmm. can't get rid of alcohol that's in your lungs. You can pump out a person's stomach, but if somebody's inhaling it into their lungs, that's a problem. Right. So with, with the vaping, we also see a rise with our middle schoolers with jeweling. That's J-U-U-L. So... Um, it's important to educate the middle school teachers in particular because the jewels look like other things. What are y'all confiscated some? What are some of the things they look like? It looks like a jump, a jump drive, drive, something that you it can charge on a laptop or a computer. Mm-hmm. So it's very small. And they have articles of clothing that you are purposely created to hide, to keep it in the hood of the jacket or either the um, cap that somebody wears. So depending upon your um, practices at your school, whether or not you can wear hoods or those types mm-hmm. of things. You're just mm-hmm. being more aware and noticing smells. Right. So if you walk into your classroom and it smells like Starburst in there, <laughs> someone's probably jeweling or vaping. Mm-hmm. And the yes. smells are um, enticing and they smell so good. Mm-hmm. So you think, oh, it smells good in here. Well, maybe someone is um, using. So for those people who say, well, at least they're not smoking and they're okay with vaping or jeweling, uh, why is that an issue or concern? I it, I feel very passionate about that we make sure that our young people are, t- you know, we're t- listening to them and talking with them about it, but the individuals who are selling it are out for the money, and so unfortunately the product is fa- still fairly new, and we really don't know what's all in all of the um, liquids that they're selling. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not FDA approved. It could be whatever somebody put in there, right? Right, and what they, well, the FDA is working on, putting out things but Mm -hmm. it's taking a while for it to roll out all of the restrictions that are coming out into play and um, a couple years ago most of my young people that I spoke with said that hey you can buy stuff without nicotine in it well the truth is is that most of the products have nicotine in them so and the levels of nicotine are not really accurate in terms of the labeling which is what the FDA is trying to Mm -hmm. turn to work on and just how addictive nicotine is it's right up there with cocaine Mm -hmm. and heroin with how addictive it is Mm -hmm. so again educating them about you know do you want to turn over your control to something else? You know, they like to have control over things. So approaching it from that standpoint of, you know, do you want to think about every single time you walk into a a certain room where you always vape, that you're always constantly thinking about it, that that's driving your, Mm -hmm. your attitude and behavior and your total focus, you know, think about what are things that are important to you and, that's not going to be your driving force anymore. Right. And you think about all the years we educated around smoking, and finally smoking numbers are down, but vape numbers have escalated um, very frighteningly across the board, and it's the same issues with addiction to nicotine. The carcinogens, carcinogens may not be there from the cigarettes, but the nicotine is still there and whatever chemicals are in that. So um, I know some of the confiscation that has happened, uh, a young man had... Uh, said he was vaping CBD oil, which is uh, part of the marijuana that helps with the anxiety. And um, people use it for pain, and they they swear by it. There's no THC in here. But once his device was confiscated and he allowed it to be tested, sure enough, there there was THC in there. So, again, you can't trust the people that you're buying for because they're trying, as you said, Mike, and trying to make money off of you. So, you know, trusting that what somebody sold you is what it says it is, uh, you know, is being very aware of what you're vaping and um, that it is very addictive. And even with the CBD, um, where here in Virginia, there are only supposed to be five places that are going to be able to sell and distribute mm-hmm. that. So if there's something out there that says it has CBD on it, you're not sure what you're getting. Well, I know mm-hmm. I can walk into a store and see it, so mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. that is not one of the five places. Right. <laughs> and you can walk into a 7-Eleven right now and buy the vape pens. 
Mm-hmm. I know the legislation is trying to change that, but right now you can walk into your local convenience store and buy these products. So, as you said, the legislation hasn't caught up with the trends that we're seeing with kids. Mm-hmm. So, um, any other things that are trending lately that we may not be aware of um, that you've seen a rise in? Well, we, you may be aware of this, but we do see um, a great deal of marijuana use amongst our, our students. And I know when I'm teaching the prevention lessons, um, sometimes it's concerning the attitude that kids have around marijuana, that they don't view it as harmful. Um, and so, you know, just trying to um, listen non-judgmentally, but um, give them appropriate resources where they can get the facts um, as opposed to turning to their peers where they may mm-hmm. be getting misinformation. And I think, you know, some things contributing to that is they're aware that marijuana is used medicinally at times and they also um, know that, you know, it's been recreational use has mm-hmm. been legalized in, in states and so they think, well, it must not be that harmful and one argument I hear often is no one has ever overdosed on marijuana. Mm-hmm. So those are the, the common things that I hear when right. I'm teaching prevention lessons. And, too, for those states where marijuana is not legalized, it's not also um, not legislated how that marijuana is put together. So you have no idea what you're buying. In states where it is legalized, there's at least some guidance around there about what's in there, but... In most states, it's not legalized, so they really have no idea what they're buying because exactly. the, the seller doesn't care what's in there. Right. And you know what? It is also frightening. I want to mention fentanyl for a minute because we've seen, seen a rise in that across the board, and many things that the students are um, using, like if they're using a pill, that those are laced with fentanyl. And would you send those off for study um, because that is highly addictive and it makes you more addicted uh, to the substance. So, again, the dealer wants you to be addicted. So just being aware, that's a very frightening trend that um, the sheriff's office is reporting is the rise in fentanyl use. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that came out of our um, the town hall last week, too, is that they were talking about binge drinking versus, um, what was the term that they used, uh, well, it's really excessive um, drinking. And extreme extreme drinking, Mm -hmm. yeah, excessive extreme drinking. (laughs) So one thing, and I have noticed this with our young people, is that the reason why they're using, why a lot of them are using, is to change how they're feeling and and feel this extreme feeling. So um, they're using everything to the extreme. Mm -hmm. And so whatever, and so when you talk about trends, I mean, whatever drug of abuse that they choose to use. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, to really alter their sense of being. Right. And so they're going to push it to the nth degree to try to get that feeling. And so that is what's concerning. And using, like, fentanyl, which is a synthetic, marijuana can be synthetic. That's mm-hmm. what spice was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of those synthetics can come up as well as a way of um, having extreme feelings and um, mm-hmm. of that high. So you talked about um, the binge drinking as well, and I think that's another alarming um, trend. It used to be a binge drinking was five drinks, but now it could be 15 drinks. Um, so their blood alcohol levels are at the point where they could die from that. Um, and just not being aware of what that alcohol is doing to their body. So I think more education around what that looks like especially as they're heading into college and more freedom and going to parties and being aware of what that alcohol is doing to their system. And the poly drug use. So using alcohol that maybe they use a stimulant. So the stimulant Mm -hmm. hides the um, effects of the alcohol. So they drink more because they don't recognize that, hey, my my breathing and heart rate is slowing down Mm -hmm. because the stimulant's actually offsetting that. Exactly Mm -hmm. right. So what can school counselors do to assist our families and students who are having substance use issues? So I think we've mentioned a number of times, you know, making sure that you're collaborating with outside providers so that you have multiple avenues of resources and support. I think looking into what your community services board and those providers are doing to assess the level of need. Not every student who is using needs the same level of services, Mm -hmm. needs the same intervention. So that's why the SASE is really important for us. Um, And I think a very useful tool to assess is it mild, moderate to severe. It follows directly with the DSM. Um, We don't diagnose, but it does give us a really good indicator whether or not this individual needs what type of support and assistance. And 
also making sure that um, you're maintaining that contact and as much as you can providing that warm handoff to somebody. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a you know a big difference and accepting that hey, I'm one person in a school. Maybe I need to make sure that my faculty is educated on these things that are going on. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a role like ours, if you're hearing something, we created a folder where we just drop information. We have different folders in Google for different topics of substance use. And so if a faculty member wants to have access to that, they can. If they want to have access to resources, they can. Um, So that's kind of helping the greater community within our school system. Good. Thank you so much for that. Um, so our topic today was hard to talk about and listen to, I think, for a lot of people because um, we talk about stigma, but I think this impacts all of us. If it's not our own family member, it's somebody we know or a friend's child, and uh, unfortunately, it's more pervasive than a lot of people know because people we just don't talk about it. But in your roles, you see how much how prevalent it is for some of our families, and that it's okay to reach out for help. So. That's the main thing is that we say it's okay to reach for help and we're not here to judge you. We're here to provide support for you. So with that being said, with your jobs, they're different from school counselors in that you're, you know, doing prevention, but then you're in the trenches with families. So what are you doing for self-care to keep yourself in a good place to come back in and do this hard work every day? Mike, and we'll start with you. Well, Exercise. I know I need to stay active, mm-hmm. and um, now that the weather's turning nice, and like being outside definitely gives me a mood boost. But I definitely have my go-to people to talk to myself. Mm-hmm. I think that's really helpful for us as counselors to know that we need to have that support um, mm-hmm. for our own mental health as well, and that's okay. Um, and I also um, enjoy time spending time with my family and shutting off from the work mode. Oh. Unplugging and I need so I need to make sure I do that. Exactly right. And I also get massages. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like that one. Shelly yes. has. Um so I really recharge spending time alone. So I get up early in the mornings and have coffee and just time to myself before anyone wakes up and um, my spirituality is an important part of my life. So during that time I might pray or read my devotional. Um, other things I enjoy doing, reading, going on walks. And probably my favorite form of self-care, and my husband and I started uh, this when the kids were young, having trying to do um, at least a couple of date nights a month, Mm -hmm. um, you know, where we go out to dinner, and um, I just really enjoy that time. Good. And I end um, all of my podcasts with this to find out what you're reading right now. This is my favorite question because I love to read, and I love to hear what other people (laughs) are reading. So, Shelly, what are you reading right now? So um, I'm in the middle of two books right now. Mm -hmm. The first one I'm reading is, um, it's called Rest. And that really appealed to me because um, I've been operating in survival mode Mm -hmm. (laughs) quite a bit. This is only my uh, second year in this position. And it just gives practical ways on um, how to set aside your to-do list and um, ways to make time to be present Mm -hmm. and... um, so I've, I've really enjoyed that. That's by Carrie Wyatt Kent. And then um, I, I just received um, a book from a former co-worker. I, I used to work with Tamara Letter at the elementary school level, and she's just published her first she book. She has. So exciting. It is. I'm, I'm so happy to her. see her, her <laughs> dream come true. Mm-hmm. So I've been um, uh, reading her book, A Passion for Kindness. Mm-hmm. And she is trending right now on Amazon, I do believe, with that book. And it's um, she is a teacher, but all of the principles in that book are so applicable to school counseling. Yes, they are. And I love um, that. And I always feel like that when I saw that, I'm like, oh, we know her. Yeah, it's like you know the celebrity <laughs> person who has written this amazing book that um, has really taken off. Yes, Mike, and what are you reading right now? So I have a tendency. We keep a Twitter feed for. For work um, for the prevention, and I end up going. So, what is your Twitter? Uh, Others would like to follow that at HC Intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I tend to go down the rabbit hole when I click on links and Mm -hmm. find (laughs) information. So, I read um, information on online. Yes, Um, but most nothing wrong with that. (laughs) I did finish. I used to love reading books all the time, but um, most recently. We did finish a book study called The Struggle is Real. It's with a local author here in the Richmond area mm-hmm. that um, has written numerous books. So it's about women and, mm-hmm. 
you know, understanding that you have many different things on your plate and how to prioritize. I'm Love noticing it. a theme between <laughs> Shelley and yeah. I. Yes. <laughs> but um, so that that's the most recent book that right. I've read. And I like, too, what you said about self-care. And I think for the, the two of you, because your jobs are um, so different, y'all rely on each other um, to do the work and to um, bounce ideas off of and support each other. So I really like the work environment that you all have created with each other uh, to provide support for each other. It's amazing to watch. So I really thank you for sharing your stories with us today and um, a lot of a lot to think about as we work with kids and a subset um, of our caseloads who have substance use concerns and working with families. So I'm hoping that our audience got some um, good ideas and some re-energizing to be able to go out there and and work with students and also um, learn to reach out for help when we need it and stop working in silos. I think that's our biggest Mm -hmm. takeaway from today. Stop working in silos and collaborate more um, to make our jobs easier and to make resources for parents and for students easier as well. So thank you for coming to the third floor today. I so appreciate um, your conversation and sharing a lot of personal um, journeys that you've been through and um, resources that you have for our families. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.